0: Is it uh, too late into January to wish you Happy New Year? I never know the etiquette of these things, but uh, Happy New Year anyway. If it was October, I could understand, but you know we're still in the January, so we're we're good to go. Ray, thank you for, for leading uh, our our thoughts and uh, and to our musicians, everybody else that's taken part in our service uh, this morning. We've got quite a a lengthy passage to go through as we've we've read 48 verses and in half an hour. We're going to be we're going to be going some, so so stick with me. But it's a, it's a passage where we come to a real pivotal point in God's book of what happens next. That's, that's where Acts is. Acts is, is God's book of what happens next. What happens next in his church, what happens next in the, the, the lives of his people, and what happens next um, to uh, the story uh, of God's people as they make their way through the, the history of of the early church. It's, we come now to what is a series of events that would change the course of the early church in its infancy. So let's to set the scene, as we, uh, as we should do when we come to the Word of God, that, that we have this man Paul. He is now an influential uh, leader in the early church. He's influential in the early church's promotion, whereas uh, previously he was uh, influential in the early church's destruction. And God is, is moving his church along right up to the moment of where we are now. So then we come to this man, Peter, who we're going to consider uh, as one of our characters uh, from this morning. Peter has faced all sorts of challenges through his, uh, through his experience so far uh, as a disciple, as a man who saw the, the crucified and risen Jesus, as a man who has become influential In this part of the early church. He has dealt with death and sickness and now he's about to deal with another challenge. He's about to deal with the challenge of his unconscious bias. He's about to deal with racism and religious discrimination. Now please don't think that I am about to give you a lecture on what all these things are and what they aren't in the modern day. That's not my purpose. Because I talk about racial discrimination, this is not because it's a buzzword. This is not because it's something that's that's poignant in today's conversation. This is something that is based within the Word of God that we're going to deal with uh, this morning. This idea of separation between two groups of people and how that actually, as you'll see on screen... God does not show favouritism. Okay, let's get that absolutely clear from the outset. It's one of the pivotal verses that we are going to consider uh, this morning was in that, that uh, chapter of Acts that we read together, that God does not show favouritism. So, we have to start with uh, Peter then. He is his background, he is a Jew. Uh, a race through uh, throughout history that uh, thought themselves superior to the rest of the world. Why? Because they misunderstood The word of God. God said this in Genesis 12. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. God was, of course, talking to Abraham as he sent him out on on his great journey. That that blessing that God had given Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, would go out. And the blessing that would come from the Israelite nation would go out and change the face of history. Of course, I'm talking about Jesus. You see, the promise that God made in that statement that in you all the families of earth will be blessed, was supposed to be inclusive. There's another buzzword from today. It was supposed to be inclusive of the whole of humanity. That through one family, through one nation, the world would be blessed. Except as men and women being men and women, we misunderstood what God was saying. And the Jews, however, made this an inclusive, uh, as rather an exclusive promise that it was, they got it in their head that they were somehow special. Now, please don't get me wrong, for those of you that know Jewish history and know the, the Israelite promise, I am not saying that the Israelites are not God's people. They are. I want to make that perfectly plain and perfectly clear. They are a people set apart for God. They are God's chosen nation. They are God's holy people. There's a sermon in itself. But I just, just make that absolutely clear. Yet, however, they've made it a problem that they've made it an exclusive promise by twisting God's word to suit their own gain. So we're introduced to this man, Cornelius. And he is a, a, a centurion, he is part of the occupying force at that time. He is a pagan. Yet, as God has done before, and as God will do again, I am sure. God was about to use a pagan man in a powerful way. Let's just get this clear. If we are Christians, we are not the only ones that God can use. We have no right to sit on the moral high ground. You enter into a conversation with somebody who you believe to be an atheist or something of that sort of magnitude, and there are times when their morality and their behaviours will far outshine ours. Let's get that absolutely clear at the start. This man is a centurion. He is a pagan, and God is about to use this pagan man in an extremely powerful way. The Bible calls him devout. A devout man who prayed to God. Let's get one thing. If the Bible was to be written today, would that banner, would that statement be written about you or I? We are a devout man, we are a devout woman who prays to God. That's a tough challenge, right at the very start of what we what we're going to look at together this morning. He gives generously, he is prayerful, and he trusts God. You see, this man has clearly had some form of interaction that has changed his worldview. He's changed his worldview from believing in the, the Roman you know, gods of thunder and of lightning and very, very frightening and everything else that, that they believed in. So he's come into this understanding of the one true God. And so this this pagan man who's had his world view changed is about to play a pivotal role in bringing the message of the gospel to the rest of the world. Do you see why now this is a turning point in where we are in Acts chapter 10? This is an incredible switch from where we were to where we are now. A pivotal moment. So he's praying, he finds himself praying during the day and he's visited by an angel. And the angel from God says to him, you are to send men to Joppa, to retrieve a man called Peter. So here we have these two characters. One a Jew, one a Roman, one a Jew and one a Gentile. Between these two men, up until this point, is a divide. A divide that separates the two men. You see, remember I said about this Jewish nation that got themselves so wrapped up where they were the individuals, they were the people. The Jew and the Gentile were two separate. Cast your mind back to when Jesus visited the Samaritan woman. And she says to him, you don't speak to us. There is this division between the two races of people. And as far as Peter's background and his up bringing was concerned never the twain shall meet yet god has a plan for these two men and as i said earlier these plans are going to change the course of history for the church so peter then is on the roof of his house or the roof the house of the was staying in and he's praying it was about the sixth hour what you and i were known as 12 o'clock or lunchtime as i like to call it and peter is hungry unsurprisingly And whilst lunch is being prepared, Peter is given a vision of a great sheet of paper, or a great sheet of animals and reptiles and birds. And there came to to Peter a voice that says these words, rise, kill and eat. And before we go any further, I'm not about to launch into a debate as to whether vegetarianism and veganism is or isn't unbiblical. That's not my purpose this morning. The purpose of this Demonstration by God is something so much bigger, something much bigger than what is a cultural uh, discussion. It is about God setting into place his plan of unifying Jews and Gentiles. That's what this picture, this image is all about. So before we get into the animals on the sheet, uh, we need to take a couple of minutes to, to understand some biblical history. When God set apart his nation of Israel to be his holy people, set apart for his blessing, he gave them the law. This was, was more than the Ten Commandments. It was the whole law, the law that people were to live by, part and part of what the Jews uh, were, were, were living by. It was the law surrounding what animals the people were and weren't allowed to eat. What part of the animal people could and couldn't eat what sacrifices be made how you were to wash how you were to dress all these things were there because they were given by god to instruct his people on how to be separate the food laws that are mentioned in leviticus are not there because god is somehow concerned with food hygiene okay let's just clear that up you see this is it's it's interesting as you start to delve into get into this business of the animals on the sheet there are those people that the night there have got so concerned about the fact that these food laws were there because god was somehow concerned with the hygiene of the people and they couldn't eat this because of that and they couldn't eat this because of that listen these laws were in place by god to show that his people were separate jesus himself debunks this whole argument in in mark 7 uh, verse 14 uh, to 23 and he says this and he called the people to him that what goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declares all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slide, pr- uh, slander, pride, foolishness, and all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That's what Jesus was saying when he had that conversation and that instruction with his, with his disciples. So really understand what these food laws were, you need to understand that that's why Jesus cancelled them. What Jesus is really saying, what Jesus is really interested in, is not uncleanliness from what you put into your body, i.e. by food or drink, but by what comes out of your body that makes you unclean. You see, the disciples being Jews thought these laws meant that it was what you put into your body that made you unclean, when in fact it was the complete opposite, as our Lord said. You see, these people who were set apart for God and are still exclusive in that instance and very important for God and still very much are, the law of food was one of many ways that God was showing that they were separated. Of course, if you have a law that says you can and cannot eat certain things, that makes it very difficult to mix with Gentiles. That makes it very difficult to eat with everybody else. This led to the people to be holy, inverted commas, in a in a ritualistic way rather than a spiritual way. Are you with me so far? Yeah. Fabulous. So let's get one thing clear: there were Israelites who called themselves holy, whose morals and actions were were far from it. These were the the people in business who undercut their. Uh, competition, the people in business who, who didn't look after their employees, the people who, who had no morals when it came to uh, day-to-day life of how to treat others around you. And yet they would then say to the people around them, we are separate because we are God's people. You see, God put these things into place to remind them that they were special. They were set apart from him. And when they disregarded the law of God, they became as corrupt as any other nation on earth. So, history lesson over. Let's apply that to us here this morning. What does that mean? What does this, all this, mean so far to us? You see, the law that God put in place, over time, the people got the idea into their head that they were somehow special because of their spirituality because of the things that they did. Let's get one thing clear. There is nothing spiritual, successfully spiritual, about us. They had got it wrong. It is the love of God that makes us spiritual people. There's nothing within us, there's nothing within us as our natural human self that makes us spiritually successful before God. That only comes from God himself when he interacts with us. You see, it also led to the false idea that the people were somehow good no matter what, whatever evil they did. And that the Gentiles were somehow bad no matter what good they did. There was this separation between them. The lack of recognition by the Jews was one of the reasons that the Gentiles were so against them. How does it affect us? Well, if we say we are Christians... And yet we behave nothing like it in our lives, and we live and treat God as if He has no place in our lives, then it makes it almost impossible by our own actions for a believer, or rather an unbeliever, to trust in the same God that we claim to trust in. Think about it this way the easiest example that you come back to with this is you are a representative of a nation. You are an ambassador. You go to visit some faraway land, you know, because you want that faraway land to invest in your products, to invest in your country, to be, to put America, I mean, to put Great Britain first, to quote somebody famous. And you arrive and you are utterly useless. You've not done your research, you don't understand what you're talking about, or actually, what you really do is you turn up as a representative of Great Britain and say actually what I'm here to do is give you the benefit of Peugeot cars because I'm actually a secret ambassador for France. It's complete and utter nonsense. You wouldn't do it, would you? Let's be honest, even a muttering idiot like me could understand that. You wouldn't do it. So why on earth, when we are trying to tell people the biggest message that we can ever give somebody, do our lives not match up to the message that we're trying to present? It's hard. And as I sat in my office this this week and wrote that and challenged myself with that, it's hard and it hurts because you question yourself, you examine yourself and you think, and ultimately, like I did, I sat there in quiet and I felt like I'd let the Lord down. And I'm not saying that because I want you to go, oh, there, there, I want your sympathy. I'm telling you because that's the challenge that I picked up from God's Word this week. And I hope and pray that that challenge comes across to you as well. If we are going to change this country, if we are going to change the people around about us, if we are going to introduce them, if we're going to show them to the living God, then we need to represent him properly. And we need to behave like his children. So back to Peter and the sheet of animals. He's been given clear instruction from God that the food laws were over. And that from now on he was free to eat with Cornelius. And he was free to do it because God, through this action with Peter, was about to play his part in one of the biggest events in his book of Acts. In the Acts of the Apostles. Peter's next act was about to be huge. Because of this very act... The Gospel is about to go to the Gentiles. So Peter and Cornelius, in verse 26, meet in Cornelius' house. And Cornelius falls at Peter's feet. And Peter tells him to stand. He's just a man. Peter acknowledges that he has been corrected by God. It's that what makes him holy. It's that that makes him special, that he has been corrected by God the lesson that he comes to Peter in that he is not to call food clean or unclean he's not to call humans clean or unclean Peter has learned that lesson and now is going to change his worldview completely so as we go into a new year and as we go into a new decade I can see no better challenge than to experience the same thing that Peter has And let God challenge us and let God challenge our worldview. Whether that be as we set out on a new venture for God. Whether that be that we start a new relationship with God for the first time. Whether that be we are experiencing something that is going to test our faith and test our trust in God to its very core. God has given these things to us. God has given us these things that sometimes hurt, that sometimes we don't understand, that sometimes we cannot even begin to imagine how we are going to face them, how we are going to achieve them, or how we are going to get through them. Yet we have to remember that if God has given them to us, he will test us to not what more than we can bear. He will give us, he will guide us, he will put his arm of love around us, and he will take us through it and it is only when we are at the other side and we can look back in hindsight and we can see how God has guided and steered and put things into place in our lives then we truly understand how great he is and then we truly understand how much we need to rely on him you see we're talking about what God has done through Jesus God did more than unite the Jews and the Gentiles he made it possible for all of mankind to be united with God. That unity that we have with God through Jesus makes us holy, makes us a holy people as Peter's own words in his letters that were to come say. That holiness that comes from God comes from a relationship with him. So Peter is about now, in Cornelius' house, he's about to deliver his sermon. And as any good preacher does, he has considered his opening words. He is considered his opening gambit. And I can assure you, in the sermon that is preached by Peter, there is no bigger opening statement than verses 34 and 35. So Peter opens his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter, by demonstrating that understanding of the fact that God has got rid of the separation in terms of race and in terms of religion between the Jews and the Gentiles, that he has united us as under one purpose to be his children and he will be our God. I want to make a few little points on this. As I've said at the start, I stick by. The Jews are God's special people. They are God's holy nation, separate Let's not blur the lines with that one. i tell you what else I've heard that's quite interesting as I was researching this. Is there are Christians who sign up to equality with the LGBT group. I find this quite shocking as I looked into this. That there are churches out there who will preach these two verses as God saying that the actions of the LGBT group are to be approved. Let's get this absolutely clear. God is very clear on the position of the LGBT group. Now I know I'm putting myself on a pedestal. I know I'm putting myself as this is being recorded and this is going out on the eye. And there is a potential for me to come under attack because of that. I don't care in that instance. Because this is not to pervert the word of God. These verses speak of the unity between Jews and Gentiles, nothing more. These verses speak that God has united Jew and Gentile to be his holy people, to be the people that are called his children and he will be our God. That is what these verses mean you see this statement shows that peter's mind has been changed and it, it brings us back to where we started that god shows no favoritism what it tells us is this that peter knows, now knows that good works are good works and the fear of god is the fear of god whether you are jew or gentile peter has learned the lesson uh, that paul will write in, in in a time to come in the book of romans You see, Paul writes this, glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God shows no favouritism, so Romans tells us. Peter then says this to Cornelius, that God has heard your prayer. And this is another, let's just not clear something else up. Peter was not saying that all Cornelius' good works have been seen by God and that is why he's chosen to act. To God, remember, our good works are as filthy rags compared to the sin that stains our DNA. The best works that we do for God are worthless because of the sin that lies behind them. Peter knew that. Cornelius knew that. And that is why Peter then brings, his this uh, uh, occasion, or rather Luke brings this uh, little uh, conversation to a close when he talks about the salvation that Jesus brings. Peter offers him salvation. He didn't say, I already have that because of the works that I had done. Cornelius knew that he needed salvation through Christ. He had no one else to turn to. His pagan Roman gods had offered him nothing. Yet something had happened to change his world view. And now he has found a relationship with Christ. Cornelius feared God. Cornelius was searching for God. He was searching for salvation and for fellowship. God in his response to his searching sent him an evangelist to show him how to be saved. It was Dr David Gooding. As I said before, he's one of a a bit of a spiritual hero of mine. He sums up that whole passage in that two sentence statement. Cornelius feared God. Cornelius was searching for God, searching for salvation and for fellowship in God. In response to his searching, God sent him an evangelist to show him how to be saved. Is that you? Is that why you're here this morning? Are you searching for salvation? Are you searching for meaning in your life, for fellowship? Are you searching for God? If you are, God has done the same thing for you he did for Cornelius. He has brought you to a place where you can find his salvation. So Peter was a man who witnessed the death of Jesus. He was a man who saw the the same nothing in the three hours of darkness as everyone else. Yet the death of Jesus changed his life. And the death of Peter, and the, and the death of Jesus can change your life. Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. And the resurrected Jesus changed his life forever. You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus is what it takes to change your life and my life forever. And as we come to the end of this pivotal chapter. In, in the story of the Apostles' Acts, we come to the subject of holiness. To be holy before God, the process starts with forgiveness. All the prophets bear witness to that. So verse 43 says, that everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter and Cornelius had realised that they have no standing before God based on his good works. They have no standing before God based on whether they are a Jew or whether they are a Gentile. They are realised that God has saved them irrespective of who they are. God has no favourites. And God will save those who believe on his name. A challenge for all of us here this morning is this. Do we truly believe on the name of Jesus? If you do, you are saved by the salvation of God, so the Bible says. If you don't, I ask you, what prevents you from coming to Jesus? In fact, no, I challenge you with what prevents you from coming to Jesus. Cornelius makes the public step of obedience and is baptised by Peter. He obeys the commands of Jesus for all of his followers to be baptised as an outward expression of the change that God has made in someone's heart and in their life. If you are a believer in God, I encourage you. No, 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 Let me challenge you. What's stopping you from being baptised, just as Jesus commanded? So at the end of our pivotal chapter, we come to the great leveller. The true basis of Christian holiness for both Jew and Gentile are found at the foot of the cross. Jew and Gentile on a common level, both sinners before God, in spite of their religion, in spite of their good works, both forgiven on exactly the same terms as a free gift through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Neither is left anything to boast about over the other, yet having everything Jesus has done together, in common, for them, to rejoice. God has united Jew and Gentile. We can rejoice as God's holy people because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can find salvation in him, and as this very book that we're studying says, salvation is found in him and no one else. Faith in him leads to complete acceptance for everything, for everyone. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing needs to be taken away. We, as the children of God, be us Jews, be us Gentiles, we can have acceptance with Jesus. Acceptance with God because of what he did on the cross. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word. Father, we thank you that your word is alive, it teaches, it trains, it rebukes. And Lord, we would ask and pray that as we've come under the sound of your word this morning, that we would ask that it would do just that. That Father, it would highlight those areas in our lives where we are not close to you, for whatever reason that may be. Lord, we we thank you that you are a God who is interested in, in us as his people in us as his children thank you that as we've come to this uh, pivotal point in the book of Acts that Lord you saw fit tonight to unite your people be they Jew or be they Gentile Father we thank you for the nation of Israel that Father without it and its history we wouldn't have had the gospel we wouldn't have had a saviour and Father we realise that Father, they are your special people. A people set apart for you. And Lord, in the end, they will have the victory. But Lord, we pray now that, Father, you will work in the hearts and lives of all of us here this morning. That as we've come under the sound of your word, Lord, we ask you, pray, that it challenges us. Father, it helps us to appreciate you more. It helps us to understand what you've done for us. And Father, that it would provoke us to react. Be that in baptism, be that in salvation for the first time, or be that in going out and sharing the message of you to the world around us. So Lord, we come together. We give you thanks for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.